So, what's this guy's name that we're seeing today? George? Yeah, yeah. And, oh, wait. Here he is right now. Hey, George. Welcome to the Disney offices. It's good to see you. George. Yeah. You yeah. yeah, it's good to see you, too. I guess this is where uh, the mouse hangs out, right? That's what I hear. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, it is. We're really excited about this partnership. Um, I guess really more of an acquisition. Um, and just to be clear, once this goes through, you'll not have any more involvement. Well, I, that's part of what I want to talk about. I mean, I may not have any physical involvement, but as I understand it, you will be using my ideas. I, like, I create, I created Star Wars, so I'm going to give you ideas, and, uh, and I, I sell the rights, I get the money, but you still have to use the ideas. Alright, I don't. Are we on the same page, young man? What's your ideas, George? What you got for yeah, us here? Yeah, we'll, we'll give you five minutes. Give us your best idea, and if we like it, we'll continue this conversation. My best idea. You want to start me right at the top? Are you sure you don't want me to build to it? Okay. Well, uh, fair George, enough. George, George, I'm sure you can understand. We're very busy. We're very busy. That's fair. I'm really not. Um, <laughs> so my best. <laughs> can I have the money? Can I have the money? Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We are three force ghosts with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry and I'm joined by my best pals, Matt Johnson and Keith Baker. Matt, how you doing? Doing pretty good. You know, another week down. It's a Friday when we're recording this, so excited for the weekend. Um, I think actually, for the first time in quarantine, I may be seeing one of you. And spoiler alert, it's not Austin. I might be seeing young Keith tomorrow. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a beautiful reunion, if so. Um, As for how I'm doing in regards to the episode we're about to do, I'm okay. I just watched this movie today after work, and I gotta say, I feel like I need a nap. (laughs) How are you you guys doing? (laughs) Well, Keith, how are you? It's good to see you. Uh, Thanks, yeah. I'm doing okay. I'll just say, as far as the movie last night... I really had to force myself to watch it. Like I, force? <laughs> no pun intended. Did you have to force yourself to stay away? That's not how the force works. I'm just going to fucking say it already. This is the best made, most boring movie ever made. <laughs> I We joked. When did we joke about it? What episode was it? Return of the Jedi, where we were joking that we were always like moving our mouse around and we thought we were close to the end of the movie. Dude. This felt like the longest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not let's not get too too far ahead of ourselves. As as Matt and Keith have already teased, today we are back into the Star Wars series. It's time to leave the originals and the prequels behind us and enter the modern era of the franchise. We are leaving old George Lucas behind, and it's the Mouse's show now. Disney has acquired Lucasfilm, and it's time to get into Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, or maybe we should say Star Wars: The Grand Remake. Matt, give us some thoughts so we can get right into or, it. Or if you could call it Star Wars Episode 7, The Force, uh, it's time for bed. <laughs> the, Force is, the Force is a little sleepy, because that's how the movie makes you feel. Um, I guess I already kind of gave my initial impressions. I think the movie, it's undeniably well made. The performances are solid. It's a good movie. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I just think... This is the third time now I've rewatched it, like, in its entirety. And funnily enough, the 
first two times were both in theaters. So it's been five years since I've actually watched it all the way through. Um, and it's good. It's, it's a well-made movie. I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's just, I, I mean, I know, it, I know it's like not cool anymore to say that this is just a remake of A New Hope. But even on this viewing, the third time, there's even more things you notice that are just blatant, unnecessary, just copies of stuff they've already done before. And it feels so hollow because of it. This movie just feels, even though it looks so beautiful at times, it feels so lifeless. And overall, the word I've already used today is, as recording, but it's just boring because of it. So that's kind of my initial thoughts. Okay, well, let's get right into our cast. We have Daisy Ridley making her debut as Ray, John Boyega making his first appearance as Finn, Oscar Isaac debuting as Poe Dameron, Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, Harrison Ford returning as Han Solo, Carrie Fisher returning as Princess Leia, and Dom Hall Gleason as General Hux. Um, as for the production, there wasn't a whole lot of drama with the actual making of the film, but there was some drama with George Lucas. Lucas sold Lucasfilm and Star Wars to Disney in 2012. In the early days of production, he stayed on as a consultant, and he actually showed his story treatments for his episodes 7 through 9 to some producers. Um, Lucas said that they were dis- disregarded, and he was basically told to fuck off. Um, and then Lucas would also later go on to call the sale a divorce and say Disney was not keen to have him involved in the film. Which, look, I know it, it seems uh. like the entire world, or I guess all of Twitter, is sad about that. And maybe it's just a different way I look at it. Maybe it's just fucking business. I don't know. The guy got four plus billion dollars for the sale, and he's pissed that they didn't take his ideas, what did he think was going to happen? That he would get $4 billion and then they would basically use his entire story for the sequels? He's 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 crazy if you thought that Disney, the biggest company in the world, was going to hand him that much money and then also let him write all these movies, basically. <laughs> like, I know Twitter and, like, the Star Wars community is so sad that they didn't take his ideas, but I just... From a business perspective, at least, I don't know what the alternative was. Well, and Lucas did make sure to throw a little bit more salt in that wound, um, because right before the movie came out, he gave an interview and he said they wanted to do a retro movie, which he was not fond of. He said he always tried to make every single movie as different as it could be, which is not true. (laughs) He used the Death Star idea four separate times. Um, (laughs) um, And uh, he also, but he also did go on to say he thought fans would like this film. Yeah, I do think he has been. Well, I guess actually I can't really speak to that. Maybe once we get to Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, that will be there will be more opportunities to see what his thoughts were. But like Austin said, everything I could see just from a quick glance was that he was pretty open with his thoughts after seeing Force Awakens, which basically was he thought it was fine. He wasn't a fan of like how much of like a retread it was, but he did think because of that fans would love it. So I think at least in that regard, he was pretty spot on with all that. And J.J. Abrams did say that he felt like they needed to start in a familiar place for a new franchise. And we'll get into that. I think that is just (laughs) such a bullshit cop-out statement. I don't understand that. If they had made a movie that was even a little bit different, but had some of the same characters that took place later, and it was awesome, people wouldn't 
Nobody would say, ugh, I wish it was more familiar, a.k.a. I wish it was the same fucking movie again. <laughs> Wait, he said it started off in a familiar place? No, J.J. Abrams said that he felt they needed to start in a familiar place, like, for the fans to get people on board with, like, the new characters and new planets and that sort of stuff. I think, I think what he was referencing specifically is whenever there was the slight, I guess, backlash that this is just a remake of A New Hope, J.J. Abrams' response was basically... I felt that we needed to start in a familiar place in order for the fans to get on board with completely new characters, new settings. Oh, so okay. it, okay. it was okay. just his excuse. Okay. That's the way I look at it. I mean, people can feel differently, obviously, but I've always thought that was a weird comment. Let's get into the critical reception. Um, this film released on December si- December 16th, 2015, and it made $2 billion worldwide against a $245 million budget. And it launched to extremely positive reviews. Um, it also launched with a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Many critics felt that it brought uh, new energy to the franchise, great performances, interesting new characters, and fun reprisals of old characters. Um, some of the negative critics felt this film didn't bring anything new to the franchise, had a hollow story, and was essentially a remake of A New Hope. And I actually have one review I do want to read for you guys. Mm. And it's from our very own Matt Johnson. What? It's from his Twitter what? in 2015. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even know I tweeted about that. The Force Awakens was a nostalgia bomb with fantastic Ah! acting, but it lacks a special story and payoff. Eight out of ten. Hashtag Matt reviews. Oh, God. (laughs) Eight Eight out of ten. You're being generous. This this tweet got one like and one retweet, (laughs) both from Austin Terry. (laughs) Oh, man. That's pretty funny. So that was in 2015. We did have a follow. We did have a follow up tweet to that original tweet. And here it is. That being said, I couldn't be more excited to see where the story goes in episode eight. Ryan Johnson is Ryan Johnson is much more versatile than Sweet Baby JJ. Yeah, and spoiler alert, I was right. I do. To be fair, I'm not, I'm not obviously not gonna go back on something I said, but I did really like this movie the first time I saw it, and then Austin and I went to go see it. I think the first time that he was going to go see it, he asked if I wanted to go see it with him. I said, sh- I said, sure. And then, no bullshit, I fell asleep through most of the movie. Um, <laughs> he did fall asleep. And then since then, I've seen bits and pieces, and I've like thought about it, and I really don't like it. And then, like I said, today was the first time since theaters that I rewatched it in its entirety. So I guess I have a new outlook, but <laughs> it is funny. I do. I guess I do remember saying that. The funny thing, though, is <laughs> I do like the characters overall. I do think it is a nostalgia bomb. But everything else I said, and then I give it an 8 out of 10. I would use the same review, but just give it a lower score. You know, you know what's even more funny about that? Is for some reason, I've thought about that tweet like once a month since 2015. <laughs> which, is a, which is the only reason I thought to go back and get it for this That's episode. That's funny. Okay. Well, let's get into the first act. Um, we learn in the opening crawl that Luke Skywalker has vanished. And a faction called the First Order has gained power. Leia is leading the resistance. We open on the planet Jakku, where the resistant pilot Poe receives a map to Luke's location. Poe stores the map in his BBA droid and sends it away. First Order forces, led by Kylo Ren, capture Poe and take him prisoner. Poe is freed by a stormtrooper named Finn, and the two crash back to Jakku. On the other side of the planet, we are introduced to Rey, who is a scavenger. She finds BB-8 and later runs into Finn. First Order forces attack them, and they flee in a broken-down Millennium Falcon, where they encounter Han Solo and Chewbacca in space. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly a cool opening. I, and I also, I think this is probably the best crawl 
I feel like I think this really is a solid opening crawl that like even when I saw it in theaters and still today, I think it does a good job of establishing not only that we're done with the prequels, this is a sequel, so these are characters you're familiar with. And that first like it's it's so well done because of the way they structured the crawl originally. It's like Star Wars, Episode Seven, Force Awakens, and the first line of text you see is all fit into one line and it's just Luke Skywalker has vanished, and it's like, oh shit, what does that mean? And I think it's pretty interesting going forward. And then, yeah, like you said, after that, we get into the the Poe plot. And it's pretty simple. It's like, okay, he's going to this desolate planet. He works for Leia. He's the best pilot. He works for this resistance. And he's going to go find where Luke is. Um, pretty cool. And then it kind of developed into, I would say, a pretty cool action scene that also introduces Finn and Kylo Ren. So right off the bat, at the very least, I think they're trying to get us into this world and i love um i love kylo's introduction oh yeah in this scene i think it's so intimidating i think it's probably the best villain intro in star wars like up to this day just the way he stops that fucking like phaser boat that that laser bolt in midair and and then it just hovers there while he continues his conversation it's so cool yeah one Mm -hmm. thing that i wish i could remember how i felt in theaters um because i just genuinely don't but i really like how they just pretty nonchalantly as it would happen, they just reveal later in the movie that Kylo, his father, is Han Solo. I like that there's no music. It's not like this big buildup. It just is said. Um, but there is this weird scene with Max von Sydow's character who is killed. Laura Santeca? Yeah, who I don't... Apparently, he must know Kylo Ren from the past. Yeah, we've we've never seen him before in the, in the other movies, but he appears in, like, Star Wars lore and other places. Okay, yeah, I have no idea who he is, but... Based on the conversation, it seems like he must have worked with Luke, maybe, at the temple and, like, trained these kids. That's what I said, yeah. But what I wanted to ask you guys was, since I don't remember how I felt in theaters, it does feel so blatant out of nowhere whenever he's just, like, he says something about Luke, and then he says to Kylo, don't forget your family. And it's like, that's kind of, like, a weird line. (laughs) He tells him the first order. He says the force order only rode from the dark side, and you can't deny your family. That's what it just it feels like. Such an obvious. Oh, okay, he's the son of somebody. So I guess whenever I was in theaters, yeah. I was like, oh, I guess he's Luke's son. And then later, it's like, oh, I guess he's Han's son. It just felt weird that they revealed that in one line when they could have just saved it. But whatever, not a big deal. It's a cool scene. I'm just nitpicking, but I do like the scene. I like how when Poe gets captured, he has that fun line where it's just this awkward pause, and he's like. Uh, do I speak first? Or do you speak first? And then he ends yeah. up getting captured. Yeah. I like how he sends off BB-8. It's so clear. We, we've talked about this a lot with Star Wars that I love when in just a couple seconds or even just like a minute, they can establish long-term relationships. Like it's so clear that Poe and BB-8 have like a really close relationship similarly to like Anakin and R2, Anakin 3PO, just the droids in the past. Um, whenever he's sending him off, it's kind of sad and scary. And then... Yeah, I guess that's the end of the scene. And if you, what did you guys think of the way they introduced Finn as this being his first battle? And he's scared, and we're seeing a different side of the stormtroopers. We see, like, I guess maybe a friend or just an ally, like, bloodily die in front of him, and then he refuses to kill these villagers. What did you guys think of that introduction? I thought that was cool. Um, while I was watching it, rewatching it last night with my dad, my dad asked me, he's like, hey, when did they stop cloning them? And when did they start becoming actual people? in the stormtrooper suits. And I was like, that's a really damn, that's a damn good question. Cause I really don't know the answer to that. Yeah. They, all the they way. kind of referenced that 
later on yeah. in the movie when Finn gives a little bit more background into where he came from. But I think what's implied is that when the Empire fell in uh, Return of the Jedi, that's when like they kind of stopped cloning people because like the whole fabric of the Empire shattered. And then this Force yeah. Order faction rose up. So then they started kidnapping like orphans and stuff and making them into yeah. stormtroopers. So I thought that was kind of cool and like, and how, and you get into it later with General Hux, how he, they're surprised that he was a, a nonconformist. And, and yeah. so like, obviously they're kidnapping his kids, like you said, and they're trained and maybe even programmed. Maybe I think that was mentioned too. And I actually really like how the stormtroopers are like actually competent soldiers in this film. Yeah. Because in the originals, they're garbage. Yeah. But yeah. in this movie, they actually like, like they look intimidating when they're in battle. They're not missing all their shots. Um, and the, I think the battle scenes in this movie are really effectively shot as well. Absolutely. I, would, I guess we'll have to look back at some point, but I do think it is, I do think it's, well, I don't know, but I think the stormtroopers in the originals are not clones. I think the only clones are like the actual clone troopers from the prequels and the Clone Wars and stuff. I think somewhere in between that gap between episode three and four, they're no longer clones. I could be wrong, but regardless, for sure here, they aren't because they reference the fact that they're not. But it is also cool because they really do spend time talking about how they gathered these soldiers. And in a way, it is kind of just like a more twisted version of how we've seen in the prequels, how they recruit Jedi, which is they basically take in orphans and indoctrinate them, but presumably in less of a dark mindset. I mean, they are basically forcing this mindset on them, but it is a more positive and more Zen one. So I did like that they basically specifically said they're doing the exact same thing as the Jedi. It's just more fucked up, I guess. So Kylo does uh, take Poe back to the Star Destroyer. Finn eventually does break him out and they steal a TIE fighter and escape and uh, eventually are shot down by some missile systems and crash back onto the surface of Jakku. Yeah. What do you think about this, Keith? Because this happens so this happens so fast. <laughs> I like the part. I feel like they bring a lot of comedy into this movie, uh, more so than a lot of the other ones. I and like more the part effectively when tr- than George Lucas did. Yeah, and I like the part whenever the, they're trying to get away in the Tie Fighter, and the it gets caught by that cable. <laughs> they're like, "Oh yeah. shit!" I like that, that too, actually. Yeah, because it makes sense too. Because Poe wouldn't know how to take off from a yeah. Star Destroyer. Either. I thought that was pretty cool. And John Boyega and Oscar Isaac, people have talked about how they thought it was going to be romantic. I never saw it that way. I can certainly appreciate it. People did. But regardless of that, I mean, they just have amazing chemistry. And here's the thing. I think the scene is so goofy, them escaping. Because literally, and I get it from Finn's perspective, he was just traumatized by what he saw in his first battle. He says the thing on Jakku is the first time he saw combat. But even then, to immediately after that, <laughs> just take the prisoner that was captured and just go, we're getting out of here. It's, it just seems so quick. And all, not only that, yeah. he's willing to just shoot and like blow up all of these stormtroopers that some of them might be his friends. I don't know. It is goofy, but <laughs> I do think it's honestly saved and made a bit more realistic by the fact that they're back and forth in this span of maybe three minutes from whenever Finn takes him out of like the chair and then until they crash on Jakku, like... It's such good chemistry. I like how Poe kind of effectively gives him his own name and that Finn actually likes it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you kind of, he gets his own identity from that. And it does make sense why he feels, they feel so close to each other, at least from Finn's perspective. I mean, basically this guy kind of freed him in a way and like gave him his own identity. So it's just a really fun scene and it's funny and it's exciting. And yeah, this is, this was actually 
really, really a highlight for me this time around watching. I really love this sequence. While acknowledging that it is silly, like, how fast Finn is just like, okay, I'm defecting. <laughs> but I did like it. Yeah. Well, also, though, Finn does get sent to, like, indoctrination in school or whatever again. Because Phasma realizes yeah. that he, like, isn't acting the way a stormtrooper should. So maybe they, like, really did something fucked up to him, too, when he got sent there. I would have liked to have seen that. I don't know if there's, like, a deleted yeah, scene. I agree. but. I do also think that Kylo is super intimidating when he's interrogating Poe here. As oh, well. yeah. It's awesome. I love that, like, we're seeing the Force used in kind of a different way. It's not like Darth Vader, where he's basically just, like, Force-choking somebody to weirdly punish them if they've done something wrong. It's just, I don't even know what he's doing. It's just, like, he's somehow, like, w- with the Force, just make- he's torturing him. I mean, straight up. I don't know how that works or, like, what Poe is feeling, but pretty clear through the performance that it's just what Kylo's doing is just really messing him up, and it's a really great scene, so... This is all good. I like the beginning of this movie a lot. So let's now go to Rey. Um, we are introduced to her while she's while she's scavenging some down star destroyers on the other side of Jakku. Tatooine. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, man. When I meant to ask you guys, what do you guys think of Jakku looking so similar to Tatooine? Should they have tried to come up yes. with something different here, or did you like that we're back in the Tatooine? No, or a Tatooine esque setting. Is like the first example of them doing something so unnecessary to basically make you feel like you're watching a new hope again they literally called this planet something different it's not tatooine we all thought when we saw like the first trailers and pictures oh okay they're on tatooine cool i guess but they just called it something different but it's the exact same thing and why so that ray is like luke it's like could she could have come from any type of planet and it could have like you could have done the same thing character wise it's just so silly to me but Whatever. Or they could have just called it Tatooine because they're only here for like <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes. That's so. what I was going to say. It's like, you might as well just make it Tatooine. Which I guess, because if you had called it Tatooine, at least you could have like kind of like tied some strings together and like it would have made at least slightly more sense why the Millennium Falcon was there because that's where, you know, the bounty hunters were. Whereas here, it's just another, the fact that like the Millennium Falcon is just like trashed on this planet is just another example of the small galaxy Star Wars thing where it's like, even though this is such a huge galaxy, presumably, everything is just all related to the Skywalkers and, like, the original characters. Like, it's so ridiculous that this thing is on this planet and they escape with it. If it had been Tatooine, at least it would have been more sense. But at the same time, I don't want to see Tatooine again. We've seen it. So what do they give us? They give us Jakku, which is Tatooine. So it's just stupid. But whatever. So what did you guys think, regardless of the actual setting, what did you think of, like, Rey's introduction, the fact that she is... I would say this is the same thing as the original trilogy, whereas we have, it's an ensemble. We have Rey, um, Finn, and Poe, whereas in the originals we had Luke, Leia, and Han. But I would still say Luke and Rey are the main characters. So what did you think of her actual introduction, since I think she's probably the main character of this movie? Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, like we were just talking shit about Jakku, but I did think it was kind of cool that that she was scavenging around those the the fallen uh, starships or star destroyers, whatever you call them and getting materials and all that kind of stuff. And kind of, it's kind of establishing like what Jakku, the planet is. It's kind of just a planet for scoundrels and uh, the poor people of the galaxy, I guess. So that, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, I guess. Yeah. I really like um, Daisy Ridley as Ray too. I think she gives such a great performance. 
Um, and I just think she's such an intriguing character and she's really easy to get on board with too. She's a very easy character to root for. I think she's the better version of Luke. I agree. Yeah. She's, I think we even, I think yeah, we even, really I think we even talked about this and I'm not saying Luke overall, I'm saying Luke and a new hope because we talked about it probably whenever we started this series, but it is kind of silly how Luke really is just apparently good at everything right away. And people have commented on how is Rey so good at everything? But at the very least, they show she's a survivor right off the bat. The fact that her day-to-day routine is just she goes to these down starships and like collects parts and then goes back to her homestead and trades them in for just a like, minuscule amount of food and water. And then that's her life and the fact that she's how old that she is and she made it this far. I do think it's telling about her character and then seeing her in action later. I think it's a cool introduction. Yeah, and I would argue she's not really good at everything right away either. Like she's good she's good at the mechanical stuff, but that's because that's what she does every day. But when it comes to like fighting or using the force, like you can, they do a really, I think, effective way of when she is dueling later on. Like she doesn't really know what she's doing. And you can tell that with the way she's swinging the saber and really just trying to block. Um, and I really like that we see her later on, like kind of discovering what she can do with the force, but not still really not knowing what she's capable of either. Yeah, that's true. Because she doesn't have a mentor. I mean, Luke always had Obi-Wan and A New Hope that like taught him the Jedi mind trick, which is also used here that Rey kind of just figures out on her own, like the way of the lightsaber and stuff like that. Um, I, so I like that they at the very least just depict her straight up as somebody that is going to survive no matter what and do what it takes. I think it's cool. And I love the scene of her eating outside of the downed AT-AT and just putting on like the messed up um, like X-Wing fighter helmet and just kind of looking up at the sky as the ships take off is really effective. Similarly to Luke looking at the twin suns in the original and kind of wanting to get off this planet and explore the galaxy. It gives you the same vibe, but in a good way. I think this is one of those retreads that I find at the very least effective. I like Rey as a character as well. So Rey does eventually find BB-8. Um, and then she does run into Finn uh, back in like the town of her little village that she lives in. Um, and eventually uh, the First Order forces show up and they give chase and they are forced to flee in the Millennium Falcon. What did you guys think of this little Falcon chase that we get here? Oh, I love this Falcon chase. I love it too. I think they did a really good job. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. Maybe the favorite part of, my, of the movie. Yeah, it's really um, good. And I, and, and I like the part where they, they actually find it too and they and they call back the old score from the Millennium Falcon. I thought that was pretty badass. So they yeah. uh, put that in there. Yeah. I think it's, like I said, I think it's a great scene. The only thing, like I mentioned before, is that it's silly that they're running towards a ship and then it blows up. And then it's like, what about that one? And it's the Millennium Falcon. And she's like, <laughs> oh, that's garbage. Yeah. And it's like, why is that even here? Um, <laughs> it actually made me laugh when they called it me garbage. Me too. But the, the actual scene yeah. itself beyond that is really good. I like them exploring the ship and seeing the familiar set pieces from the originals and, it, it's really well done, and I like that, you know... So I do um, I do have a question about this, though. Is is it implied that Rey is using her Force abilities to be able to fly like this, just like young Annie? I That's a good question. Is it implied? I would say no, it's not implied. But is it the answer? Possibly, because she even admits, like, whenever they... um. I guess I don't know when they do it the first time, but there's a moment whenever there's like a break in the action and like Finn and Ray come together like, holy shit, like that was so, how did we do that? That was so crazy. Like, good job, good job. And then like Finn asked, how did you know how to fly like that? And she was like, I, I didn't. Like, I've never flown anything like this. Only like land speeders. So it's one of those things, it's hard to give it credit because it's never referenced later, but 
is probably a safe bet. The fact that they do basically explicitly state in the prequels that Anakin, as a human, is only able to pod race at, like, at that speed with, because his reactions are changed by his force ability. So I guess it's the same thing, but we don't really get an answer to that. Okay, well, eventually they do escape into space on the Falcon, and then the Falcon is captured by a larger smuggling ship, and Han and Chewie make their return to the Star Wars franchise. Heck yeah. Yeah, it's a cool scene. It's good. Right off the bat, this is Harrison Ford's best movie, I would Ever? say. Ever? Or Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, sorry. Right off the bat, this is Harrison Ford's best Star Wars Okay, yeah, I would say without a doubt. Maybe Empire. It's Empire <laughs> and this are his best. Return of the Jedi, he slept walked through it because he didn't want to be there. And A New Hope, it's like kind of like his first kind of main foray into that kind of movie. And I think it's a bit of an overrated performance. It is iconic, but... Yeah, Empire in this movie, he's just off the charts good. And the fact that he was willing to come back in such an important role, like the basically the Obi-Wan kind of mentor role, which is cool to see somebody that knows about the Force, but isn't a Force user in that role. And he's so he's so good in this movie. He's so good. He also, he also gets to play the role that he wanted to play in Return of the Jedi. Remember we talked about that he wanted to sacrifice himself in Return of the Jedi? Oh. Well, he doesn't sacrifice himself here. He does still get to play like kind of what he was asking for. Well, he gets to he gets to die. And we know without a doubt. I mean, the meetings with Disney and JJ Harrison Ford was like, "Look, I'll come back to Star Wars, that stupid nerd shit, but if I'm coming back, give me 12 million dollars, um, kill me before the end." Don't ask me to come back. And then also, I'm doing Indiana Jones 5, all right? I need, I need to see that in writing. I'm not doing this shit unless I'm doing Indy 5. <laughs> and that's a, that sounds like a joke, but I do think that is true. I do think he said to like Lucasfilm and Disney, I don't want to do Star Wars unless you can guarantee us another Indiana Jones movie. I said, yeah, I liked what they did with uh, him and Chewie's background between um six and seven mm-hmm. here how they kind of made them go back to their old ways of smuggling yeah and kind of getting into trouble with, with everybody they're coming in contact with i thought that was yeah, pretty cool I agree. and it's only and, made better later when you find out why and we'll get to that when we get to it but there is a good reason um and also just some little things i like um i like that scene before han and chewie like right before they come on where finn Ray is like, we got to get B- Ray's whole thing is we need to get BB-8 back to the Resistance. That's his home. We got to get him there. And so Finn, who's now saying he's part of the Resistance, is doesn't know where to go. And he, there's like a whole scene where Ray's trying to fix the ship, but you can't hear them. And then I love the scene where Finn and BB-8, he like Finn pulls him over and is like, look, I'm not in the Resistance, but just help me, okay? I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. Uh, and then I love the scene wherever BB-8 does tell Ray. Oh, the Alenium system. And then Ben's like, yeah, the Alenium system. Or whatever system yeah. he has. Yeah. John Boyega's great. He's really funny in this movie, John Boyega is so good. He's just so charismatic. It's crazy that John Boyega and Daisy Ridley were really unknown until this film. And it's, it's just crazy that the performances that they give, like, is just so good in this movie. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing where, in A New Hope, Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill were unknown and very young actors, and their performances are garbage. <laughs> I would say Harrison Ford out of the three is not garbage. I would say Carrie Fisher 
Mark Hamill is like at the bottom of the dumpster, but Carrie Fisher is like <laughs> Carrie Fisher's like at the top, almost clawing her way out. But then at the end, she has that line. She's like, "I knew I cared more about than just money." And then she like kind of she kind of <laughs> sinks back down into the into the dumpster. <laughs> okay, well, let's we don't have to spend too much time here, but there is a really quick scene where um, Han has double crossed two rival smuggling factions, and he's trying to smuggle in some raptards. <laughs> Raptors. Like, we're not. We're not, la- we're not laughing at what people are probably assuming. How? What were they thinking? Calling it that? So stupid. Um, and also, for reference, for earlier, this. Whenever Austin and I saw it, this was when I started to fall asleep. This was the scene <laughs> that kind of is where the movie starts to go from. Whoa, this is really cool. Yeah, there's some familiar stuff, but I'm really liking these characters. And I love Han Solo and Chewie, but this scene. Ugh, I hate this scene. I don't like this sequence. And this is where I start to kind of... I do like that we're actually seeing them do some smuggling here, though. Because we don't see a whole lot of Han being a smuggler in in the original. Yeah, I get that. That's fair. I guess it's just, I don't... I like whenever he's standing, like, and then the whole army comes in. And then there's that little Rovino where he's like, let's see what the other faction thinks. And they walk on the other side. It's cool. I just think the whole CG... They're capturing like monsters and then they come out and like trying to escape. It's like, that's where it goes. Like, I don't care. If it had just been like them, him trying to talk down these two in the middle of a standoff, that would have been cool. Yeah. Instead of it being like the monsters chasing after him, it would have been cool if it would have been more of a gunfight, I guess, between yeah, them I feel like that and the been better. two uh, other smugglers. Okay. Well, eventually um, the crew does escape and they shoot off into light speed. Um, but one of the one of those goons does radio the First Order and say, the droid that you're looking for is on the Millennium Falcon with Han Solo. And that's the end of Act 1. feels like every other scene, it does a close-up of like some random character, and they're just like on the radio, alert the First Order. The droid <laughs> is here. <laughs> but um, it's a little bit silly. The last thing we'll say about this first act is I... Um, I like all the character interactions. Like we said, I like how Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, and BB-8, how they they all interact with each other. And then the last bit is I do like that quick scene at the end of the first act where they're getting into um, Lightspeed and Han Solo and Rey are kind of working together as pilot and co-pilot to figure out kind of how to make the Falcon fly again and get to where they need to go. And you get to see in Han Solo's face like, oh, maybe even though this is a young person, maybe she's helpful and she knows what she's talking about. I think he sees a little bit of himself in her, which I think they show in the acting, which is pretty cool. Well, let's now get into the second act. The crew lands on the planet Takanda and meet with a bar owner named Maz Kanata. Ray finds Luke Skywalker's lightsaber. Maz tells her she needs to seek Luke out. Ray refuses and runs away. Kylo Ren meets with Emperor Snoke and General Hux. Snoke orders Hux to use their new super weapon, and, and they destroy four Republic planets. The First Order and Resistant forces clash on Takanda, and Rey is, ad- is abducted by Kylo. Han and the rest of the, of the crew flee to Dakar and are reunited to Leia, and they make plans to destroy Starkiller Base. I like the beginning of this part when they first get to that planet and uh, they go into like the cantina and it's kind of the call back to the uh, Tatooine cantina on, in Jabba's palace. But except this time it's like Cajun Zydeco music playing. <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. <laughs> I don't know if y'all saw, but there was actually another blue elephant in this cantina. What? Just like oh, Jabba's I palace cantina. I actually did miss that. 
Oh man! For like a split second. Oh shit! You see it? He wow. might get. A, he might get. A, Keith is on that blue <laughs> elephant watch for. He sure. might get an award <laughs> later in the show. Who but knows? I like the part where ever Maz uh, yells Han Solo. Oh my and he's god! Like, hey Maz. I like Maz too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Maz is cool. She's fine. <laughs> <laughs> a little orange. You lady. don't like her, Matt? I'm doing my best. I think I've done pretty good so far. I'm honestly trying to review this movie, and I watched it today, and I had to actually prepare myself and be like, I need to watch this movie and remove Last Jedi and remove Rise of Skywalker from my head. Because it has I have to be fair. So yeah, if I'm not looking at what happens later, yeah, Moss is fine and where the story goes, where she basically tells Finn, like, here, there's some people over there that you can basically trade work for transport. And that's where Finn decides to leave. And then Ray finds the lightsaber and she has this pretty cool, like, I don't know, vision, I guess you could call it. And then Ma's like, go find Luke. And then she's like, no, this whole, so much happens here. I guess it's just kind of like hard to keep track of like this is where basically every character's truth comes out kind of yeah let's just get into this like whole conversation so first maz meets with the whole gang and then and she like kind of stares at finn and she's like i know when i can tell when somebody's running from something and finn's like yeah i'm fucking running i need to get out of here like the force order is terrifying we can't win so finn decides to leave and then ray like chases after him and says hey like please don't leave and finn comes clean that he's a stormtrooper and still leaves and then Ray finds this lightsaber kind of in the basement. And then Maz, confront, Maz confronts her as well and says, look, you need to seek out Luke Skywalker. I don't know. The, the vision was, I really don't remember from the first time I watched this back in 2015. I didn't remember anything about that vision whenever she touched the uh, lightsaber. The vision was, and I was watching this with subtitles this time. I didn't notice the first time I watched it that Obi-Wan said something. <laughs> Obi-Wan says her name in the vision. Yeah, they have, they really? used, they used Alec Guinness. They used like, they like molded together some old lines he said before he died and they were able to make him say Ray. So Alec Guinness, Yoda speaks in the vision and then Alec Guinness says, Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, at all. Alec Guinness says Ray. And then they brought in you and McGregor to say at the very end, these are your first steps. So this is what sparked the whole thing that everybody thought Ray was Obi-Wan Kenobi's granddaughter. And we'll get to that. We'll uh, get to that in like eight weeks okay. or whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah, so it's a cool vision. I mean, I can't deny that. When I saw it, I thought it was awesome. She basically touches the lightsaber, and then out of nowhere, she's in, I guess, the Death Star, and like the alarm's going off, and that transitions to where she clearly sees that cool trailer shot of Luke. You don't see his face, but he puts his hand on R2, and at this point, we haven't seen R2, so it's like, okay, what does that mean? And then all of a sudden, we see Kylo Ren leading the other knights, murdering people, presumably the other trainees of the Jedi temple. And then what else do we see? I guess then it like flashes to the end of the movie in the snowy forest. No, it flashes to her as a kid running on Jakku and her parents yeah, being abducted. And see the ship fly away. And yeah, it's this whole vision that leads us to believe that as Maz says, this was Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber, then Luke's and now it's yours. So, and she's just like, fuck off Maz. I don't want it. I don't want your laser sword. This feels, this felt really um, Harry Potter-ish to me on a rewatch. Whenever Maz is like, the wand chose, or the lightsaber chose you. And, you know, it's chosen other people, but now it's going to be yours. Um, and I, I actually kind of liked it. it. It's very weird in the Star Wars lore. We're now, like, they're never, like, the force changes every fucking movie. And now apparently lightsabers are choosing their users as well. So. Yeah. 
But then know. they're able to be used by anybody else too, though. That's the weird thing about it. Like yeah. Finn uses it throughout <laughs> the movie. <laughs> we gotta talk about that. Why does Maz so willing to hand it to him? She's like, she in the last scene, she was like, I can look at someone and know when they're running. And then <laughs> the funny part of the scene is Ray's gone, and then like Han, Chewie, and uh, Finn come in, and then she like, pulls out the lightsaber, and looks like she's gonna hand it to Han, and then she just goes, and then hands it to Finn. <laughs> and it's like, why? <laughs> I mean, I guess he does okay with it for a beginner, but. It, it is odd. I guess they had no other options, so I can't complain too much. I mean, Han Solo is old, so he probably would have accidentally cut himself with it. So, <laughs> And Chewie likes his uh, uh, bowcaster or whatever. It's his precious weapon, so I guess Finn had to take it. Okay, well, let's take a departure now from Han and the rest of the gang for a second, and let's go back to Kylo Ren and Snoke. Um, so we also are introduced to Emperor Snoke uh, in the second act. He has a meeting with both Kylo and uh, General Hux. And prior to this, you know, Kylo's thrown some temper tantrums with his lightsaber with the Death Star. And he's just kind of been a really grumpy presence around the ship. Um, but Snoke, Snoke does reveal that his father is Han Solo in this scene and also orders Hux to fire up Starkiller Base and release their weapon. Yeah. So where did Snoke come from? <laughs> That's well, my question. We'll get to it, because it's in Rise of Skywalker. We'll get to it. Um, I already forgot. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it. But, I mean, for the purposes of this movie, you just got to look at it as, don't worry about where he came from. It's just, he's Kylo Ren's master. That's all we got to think about for right now. That's who he is. He's the one that's been training him. He's the one that seduced him to the dark side. Um, so that's who he is. Yeah. There you go. It is weird that, like, his introduction in this movie is... Snoke basically asks someone, hey, can you bring in, like, the, like, uh, audio video team? And, like, Hux is like, we don't have one. He's like, can you, like, hire somebody? So they hired somebody with audio and, like, video expertise. And then they came in and somehow built a projector that could project Snoke from, like, a normal human size to, like, 500 times that. And then Snoke (laughs) was also like, hey, Hux, can you also hire people to build, like, a throne 500 times the normal size so that way my projection can sit on it it's it's so, it's so dumb. weird <laughs> it's so stupid i remember when i first saw it I, I thought like is that a projection or is that is that how big he is like i i have no idea but i guess what you referenced Austin, the big part we got to talk about in this scene is how did you guys feel about the han solo father thing because like i mentioned earlier I, I think it's cool how there's no music building up to it it's just set in conversation like it probably would be in like an actual real scene and but that aside do you think it's cool that that's who this character is revealed to be i remember when i first saw it i spent the whole movie thinking kylo was going to be luke's son yeah well that's what it said up in the beginning that's what i mentioned i think they did it on purpose yeah so this was a bit of a twist um i remember when i first saw it but overall i like this reveal i'm glad that it's not this like grand thing because like it feels like every reveal in the original and the prequels has to have this like the grand score playing underneath it and it's got to be dramatic. And so I'm kind of glad that they, that at least they go a little bit away from that in this one. And, you know, Snoke is just like, look, your father's on the ship. And then, you know, as the audience, you're like, oh, okay, that's his father. And then we just move on. It makes sense. So Kylo's evil. He's got, he has a dark side, which we all know runs in the Skywalker family. So it runs through Luke and Leia's blood. So if you're a Skywalker, you, you have a 50% chance of being 
evil or good. Yeah. <laughs> and Kylo obviously started off good, but then eventually was taken over and seduced by the dark side, just like his granddad, Anakin. So, yeah, I think it, I think it makes sense. They fit it in pretty well. Okay. So, let's now get into this destruction of the four Republic planets when the Starkiller-based weapon is fired. It's a visually visually pleasing scene. It looks cool. Yeah. But it is this is where it is. This is where the movie starts to become a remake for yeah, me. Yeah, it's just the Death Star. Although, way more effective weapon than the Death Star. Yeah. I mean, you can take out four with one shot in this one. Eh, that's pretty cool. I do love Donald Gleason as General Hux, the way he performed the speech right before they fire it. I think it's like really scary and pretty cool. And I think that's a testament to him as an actor. And then I like how the speech immediately ends. And then clearly I think it's Nazi symbolism, the way like their whatever you want to call it, their salute is pretty similar. Yeah. And then right after that And also the speech looks like when you look at videos from yeah, World War Two, yeah. it looks like it looks like a video of Hitler giving a speech. I, that, that, that was on purpose, I think. And then I love how it goes from that to they turn around and then immediately on the like other side of the planet, this thing just fires off. Um, and that's all cool. As for the actual planet's destruction, it's one of those things where obviously it's effective in the sense that they're destroying this many planets at once. So it's like Alderaan's destruction times five, but it's just, it's also the, the bad side of Alderaan, which is, I don't know what that is. So it's like, I'm watching the destruction and I know it's obviously bad for the resistance, but I don't really have any, personal ties to it so i i don't i don't know how to feel i don't know who these people are other than the fact they mentioned that this is like the senate this is the resistance so i guess that's what i guess they mentioned that so i don't know yeah and and the the speech is very effective and very cool but it is also kind of a confusing speech because he says like this republic lies to the empire and they help the resistance but we don't really know anything about the that's the problem like at all kind of like what you said so it's like well wait but who he even says, like, this will be the Senate's last day. And it's like, but wait, I thought the Senate was in the prequels. Yeah, so, we like, know that. It's just very confusing. Exactly. We know the prequels because they spent so much time on the Republic and the Senate. But the original trilogy didn't have as much of that. So it's like we're left to wonder, are they talking about the same organization? But at this point, 60 years later, almost. I don't know. <laughs> Because yeah, because like, they never go back to Coruscant line. in any of these movies. The yeah. prequels are the only ones that has Coruscant in it. You, you see Coruscant, and that is, but that isn't and Coruscant re- though. This isn't Coruscant that they're destroying. That's the, that's the crazy part. It's not. It's not. It's a different planet. It's like it's the Jakku effect. It's the same type of planet, but it's not Coruscant because Coruscant in the original Episode Nine script was like the main setting of the movie. <laughs> but so apparently that wasn't Coruscant. I don't know. It's just another city planet. (laughs) For me, for me with Star Wars, and this is the, I guess, entire franchise. I always like, I see these movies, you know, in theaters or even with the originals and I watch them for the first time. I watch them and then pretty much like immediately forget about them. (laughs) Like just, that's just how this franchise is for me. I think it's a great, I think it's a great franchise and obviously it inspired so much. But for me, this franchise ultimately has been forgettable. There is usually like one or two scenes with every movie that like sticks with me. And that whenever I think about the movie, I think about that scene. 
And this shot of the Starkiller, it's his weapon going across like all the skies of the planets. That's what sticks with me in this movie. Oh, yeah. I just think it's such a cool looking shot. But then whenever like the, the blasts start to separate and it's like, oh shit, it's not just one blast, it's like five. Yeah. It's so well it's done. It's cool. I agree with you. I mean, I feel like our audience at this point probably knows our thoughts, especially since we're this far into it. I think Star Wars is it's theme, it's easily the most iconic franchise of all time. I just think it's funny that a franchise that is this long running, that is this iconic. So what? It's 11 movies right now? Nine main ones and two, and then Solo and Rogue One, right? So it's 11 movies. I think, the shows, of course, but if we're just talking about the movies, there's 11. Prequels are all garbage. There's good stuff, but they're all garbage. Originals, New Hope, no, no, thank you. It does not hold up. Return of the Jedi, I have to go to Betty Bye. Empire, good. Force Awakens, Nuh-uh, no thank you. Last Jedi, it's pretty good. I like it. Uh, Rogue One, not for me. Solo, really good. Can't wait. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker is, I would honestly like to, I'd rather join Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher at the bottom of that dumpster I mentioned earlier than watch that again. So for this movie, <laughs> this franchise that is this iconic, it's like, there's three that are pretty good. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it's Yeah, that's so a pretty funny. low success rate for such a long running franchise. Yeah. Let's just play the Battlefront games. There we go. Let's do that instead. Oh wait, all the all the new ones of those are garbage. No, <laughs> that's impossible. <laughs> all right. Well, we have to now get into the Battle of Takanda. So new New Order forces arrive at Takanda along with Resistance forces, and a battle ensues. And Ray ends up being abducted by Kylo, and we also get some shots of Finn using that lightsaber. Uh, yeah, it wasn't bad. I like the part where the uh, the X wings are going across the uh, pond oh, there. Yeah. I thought that was pretty badass, but mistake they should not have shown poe until he got out of that x-wing do you guys agree with that isn't it weird that they yeah. reveal poe still alive before he's getting out and bb-8 rolls over to him it's so bizarre to me that they show poe and even weirder that finn somehow knows it's him because he's like <laughs> that's, that's a, a damn, damn good, good pilot, pilot. <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine like i'm not even joking whenever i was watching this movie today i was in my head like rolling my eyes i was like i hate whenever um finn knows that it's Poe. Like, I remembered that in that scene, so that's a damn good pilot. I remembered him going, Poe? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I thought that. But this is a cool scene. There's so many planes of action. Like Keith said, there's the whole X-Wing battle, which is badass. And I like that we see it from both the perspective of the actual X-Wings and then also from people on the ground. We see Han and Chewie fighting, which is always cool. We see Ray in the deeper woods fighting with the blaster, which is pretty cool. And then we also get Finn, of course, fighting the lightsaber for the first time. And it does have that pretty cool scene where he fights someone that is a stormtrooper and recognizes him and calls him out as a traitor. And it's a pretty brutal fight. So lots going on. I think most of it's pretty effective. So Yeah, I think Han and Chewie definitely have some funny moments in this battle. Whenever Han asks Chewie, hey, can I try that? And Chewie hands him his crossbow gun thing and... I like this. I, I love <laughs> I that scene. Funny. I do. I do think it's a bit funny because people have pointed out these guys have what been together for fifty plus years at this point. Hansen never shot that. It's a little silly, but I don't even care. Chewie's <laughs> yeah. also never shot it either. I guess that's true. never seen him actually shoot the damn that's thing. True. He holds it the whole time in the originals, <laughs> and then he every time he goes to shoot it in this one, Han keeps taking it from him. Oh, we're gonna get some good Chewie shooting later, but. Yeah, I don't care about that that whole thing. It's like he hasn't shot it before. It's it's cool. I love it. Um, this ba- I like all the battle stuff. I think all the planes of action are cool. So it's effective for me. And then of course.
course, it ends with what's unfortunately also going to become a trend. John Boyega, great actor, very charismatic, but him sprinting towards Kylo Ren, carrying off Rey, just going, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, yeah, a little bit, that little was bit dramatic cringy. for people that just met yeah. an hour ago. But you know, it is what it is. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Little, so. Um, so the second act does conclude uh, with Ray, you know, being abducted and kind of tortured by Kylo, and uh, she eventually is able to escape her cell by uh, realizing she can use the Force. And then we also have Leia and Han reunited in the Resistance, making plans. To kill Starkiller or to destroy Starkiller. Well, not only that, you're forgetting a pretty key moment, Austin. We get the return of the character that we've been wanting to see most. We get C3PO, baby. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I forgot about that. I jumped out of my seat when he in a in a scared yeah. form when he just randomly appeared <laughs> in frame. Hot take, hot take though. C3PO. I like it in this movie. Most effective way he's used in the entire franchise so far because he has a minute and a half of screen And time. they finally did what they were trying to do in the originals, in my opinion, and a little bit in the prequels, but they made him like Drax. Weird, weird comparison, but just hear me out. They made him funny without the character trying to be funny. Dude, the line when he's like, he's introducing him, <laughs> saying hi to Han Solo, and he's like, you might not have recognized me because of my arm. <laughs> It's just yeah, my red, so my red arm. <laughs> so good. Yeah, he has like no self-awareness. Exactly, it's really exactly. funny. Exactly. And I love I love that aspect of 3PO probably the most. So this was a great use of him. He was really good. I'm watching this with my dad, and the fans don't know my dad, but whenever Kylo takes off his helmet and you see Adam and no nothing against Adam Driver's looks and the way the way he <laughs> looks, but my dad was like, What the fuck? <laughs> He's like, why do they make him look like that? He doesn't even look mean or anything. He looks like a nerd. <laughs> he looks like he just got I, done playing video games. <laughs> I always I always think about your dad's description of him. But here's the deal. I laughed in the theater when I first saw him do that. But as time has gone on, it's so clearly the point that he looks like that. And there's even the line later when Han is like, take off that mask. You don't need it. This guy is the main villain of this trilogy is a Darth Vader fanboy. I mean, I'm not even joking. It's just he's trying to finish what Darth Vader started. There's a whole fucking can of worms there. It's like this guy's his grandson. Does he not know that Darth Vader did not end that? It's so confusing. I don't understand it. But putting that aside for a second, I love the fact that he's like, I'm going to dress in all black. I'm going to have my own mask like my granddad. It's like, he's just a Darth Vader fanboy. And when he takes his mask off, I think it's so on purpose that you're like, it's, you're like, what? <laughs> That's weird. It's just like how when Anakin uh, gets his mask taken off at the end of Return of the Jedi, we all kind of looked around like, what? Humpty Dumpty's Darth Vader? But <laughs> here it's just, oh, this weird like, nerd. <laughs> like, he's trying to look tough. I think that's the point. Even Rey is like kind of surprised, like, oh, okay. <laughs> Can't wait to make out with you two movies from now. Let's get in to the final act. Han and Finn make it to Starkiller Base, where they disable the shield and find Rey. Poe and his X-Wing squadron 
begin their bombing runs on the base, Kylo confronts Han and kills him. He chases a fleeing Rey and Finn and ends up wounding Finn. Rey and Kylo duel, and an untrained Rey becomes more confident in the Force and incapacitates Kylo. The Resistance forces successfully destroy Starkiller base, and Rey leaves to seek out Luke Skywalker. Like we said, we do see Rey kind of, I guess, take what she saw Kylo do with the Force and use the Jedi mind trick, which is a bit of a stretch, but I still think it's cool, and it takes her a few tries. Um, But yeah, besides that, we get to see all those scenes with Leia and Han together, which I really love before they leave. Um, They do acknowledge that Luke was one that was training Kylo, and that Leia, of course, is like, there's still good in him. And then, like, the mission becomes twofold for Han, which is like, I'm going to get Finn to Starkiller base. But in the back of his mind, he's like, I also need to find Kylo to get him to come home. So I like I like the setup for the third act. Um, but I guess after, like, talking about it more and thinking about it during this um, recording, I do think Austin's probably right. I do think this is where... I think there's been some silly moments before and lots of retreads, but this is where things get a bit ridiculous for me. Um, I think the, the premise of the third act is good, but what did you guys think? Where do, where do we where do we even start here? Where do you guys want to start? Let's start with Han and Finn kidnapping Phasma, because oh. I know this is a point of contention too among the Star Wars fans because they felt Phasma is not used very effectively. And they wasted Brienne of Tarth. I really didn't give a shit about Phasma that much, so... <laughs> I guess <laughs> that's that's important why. to mention. They certainly don't... I mean, Phasma was such an important part of the marketing, and they got a big actor at the time, somebody that was, like, at the height of Game of Thrones, Gwendolyn Christie, so I get it. But, like Keith said, it's not like the movies set her up to be remotely cool. She's in the beginning as, like, I guess the captain, but then this is when she shows up next. Literally the scene. And it's her last scene, so I don't really care, but it's still it's still weird. I do love Finn here going, I'm in charge now, Phasma. I'm in charge. I hated that. <laughs> oh, I really? Just, I thought it was so funny. It's funny. I just thought it was a... I don't know. I mean, I guess that is who Finn is at this point. I guess that is the character they've set up. Um, I just thought it was a little goofy, but we're going to get more goofy stuff before this episode ends, so it is what it is. Um, so they do eventually find Ray. Uh, they just see they her just climbing, see her climbing through a window. Something. Very weird scene. Well, hold on, hold on. They see her climbing on the opposite side of this entire base. And then, like, the next scene, she just walks through a door. It's like, yeah. whoa, Ray! <laughs> yeah, that, like, cut, that cut was weird. <laughs> was a, yeah. um, but let's now, get, let's now get into the death of Han Solo. Keith, as our resident Star Wars superfan, tell us what your thoughts were watching Han Solo fall down a well. Um, I actually thought they did a pretty good job with this scene, how he was kind of getting in on Kylo slash Ben's good side, and you think he's about to, like, turn him over back to being good, but, and then Ben, and he's like, oh, it's too late, and because, you know, he already mass murdered everybody, and oh, just like his grand, just like his granddad, he already killed a bunch of people, and, I killed too and many he fucked up, so he's like, dad, it's too late. And, um, and he was just, yeah, he was just over, you know, just succumbed with the dark side. He just goes from kind of crying and kind of having a little second of a moment with his dad and then just completely turning and just bashing the shit out of him with his lightsaber. I do like the line how Kylo says, can you help me? And Han Solo's like, of course, of course, Ben, I can help you. And then 
Kylo just stabs him and says thank you. Like it's it's really dark. Honestly. Ben knew that he had yeah, or Kylo knew that he had to kill him if he wanted to continue being dark because he knew his dad would probably get in the way of him. Yeah, continuing continuing what he was gonna do. I also do like how Kylo acknowledges that he's being torn apart. Yeah. between the light and the dark, and he wants to be free of it. And he's not lying there. He wants to be free. Just Han thinks he wants to be free by coming back to the light. Yeah. And Kylo is meaning, I, I want to fully become uh, a Sith Lord on the dark side. Yeah, yeah, but either way, he doesn't want to do it. I mean, those tears aren't fake. I think he's actually crying because even though he knows to continue, he has to do this. He doesn't want to kill his dad. Um, I do believe that. That being said, I think the scenes are really great. I don't know what's wrong with it. But when he gets stabbed in the theater, the second time I saw it, and this viewing, why don't I care that Han Solo is dead? Is it, like, what is it? Is it because we know from, like, 30 years back Harrison Ford wanted to die, he doesn't care? Is it that, like, we've seen this scene play out? Like, they literally have Chewbacca run in, and then Ray and Finn run in, and the doors close, and it's just such a blatant copy of a Luke running up to watch Darth Vader kill Obi-Wan. Is that what it is? I don't know. I love this scene. When he gets stabbed, I just, no reaction. Probably because it was predictable. I think, Yeah. I think it's, yeah. Like, I think it's just predictable. I think it's expected. I think even on a first viewing, like if you have seen any of the Star Wars movies, I think it's hard to go into this movie not expecting a major character to die, especially with how old these actors are getting too. Like, there's no way that, they're planning to stick around for six, seven more movies, you know? So I think like, it's really, I think it's just really hard to not be predictable with their death. And I think as an audience member watching this, it's hard. I think you can still care that Han Solo's dying, but I think it's hard to be surprised by this. Yeah. I guess maybe that's what it is. I'm just not surprised at all. So. I thought it was good that he fell down all the way down that giant tube or whatever. It was kind of a call back to all the other, giant wells. Uh, <laughs> cylinders and wells and stuff in the movies yeah. with Luke falling down after in, in, in Empire and Sidious falling down and Darth Maul falling down. Yeah. So the, a lot of people fall. A lot of people ranges. fall down. So <laughs> I think it was a callback to I, all that. Yeah. And it is cheesy, but I do like that even though Han is conscious when he gets stabbed, he's still, his last reaction is to just like, I guess, comfort his son, even though his son's the killer. It, it is this really kind of dark and sad. I am glad he doesn't say anything. Me too. Though. I, yeah. I don't think he, there would have been anything that would have worked. Um, and I like that he just puts his hand on his face and then falls. And then, while I do feel this scene is ultimately hollow, Chewbacca's... I don't give a shit what Ray and Finn's reaction to seeing this guy they've known for 22 minutes. I don't care. Like, Ray looks like she's... She's never cried harder. It's it's kind of weird, um, but Chewbacca's reaction is ten out of ten. It's so yeah. guttural, yeah. and it's the most like we've we've heard him do the growl, we've heard him do the way he communicates. But this is anger, this is sadness, and also as people have pointed out, Chewbacca's known Ben since he was a baby, and he shoots him in the stomach immediately. He doesn't care. He killed his best friend. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Hansel was his brother. They've known each other for a long time. And he's basically going to yeah. shoot like his surrogate son because I don't, I don't care if I kill you. <laughs> he's not going to go for a headshot. Not going for a headshot, but I'm going to fucking shoot you for that. And I think that's really yeah. badass. Yeah, 
Yeah, and if if, uh, if old Georgie got in his way, Han and Chewie would have grown up together on Kashyyyk. Camino. Camino. <laughs> or not Camino, Kashyyyk. Okay, so let's now get into the Kylo and Rey and Finn duel. Wow. Oh, wait, hold on. Before we get to that, we have to also acknowledge that um, right after um, Han Solo dies, we, have, we can't forget that Poe leads his crew to do the exact same thing they did in A New Hope to destroy the Death Star, a.k.a. Starkiller Base. Um, so they're doing the exact same bullshit. So now let's get to the fight. Keith, please. Yeah, so it starts off with Finn pretty much using the lightsaber, I believe, right? Starts with Finn. Yeah, uh, and I do like that he gets his ass kicked. Yeah. He doesn't know how to use it. Which is weird. This is like, this movie really paves the way for non-Jedis using, or at least as we think, non-Jedis using, um, lightsabers. Because the only time we ever, the only other time we see it is Han Solo using Luke's lightsaber to cut open that Tauntaun yeah. for like two seconds as in Empire. Luke, yeah, as Luke is busy. And so we actually see a regular person using the lightsaber in battle, which I thought was pretty cool. How they, even though they... It's just a sword to him. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a weapon. As Maz put it, it's like, it, you have, like, he was like, I don't have a weapon. You're holding one. I love um, the lightsaber effects on their faces here. Like, I love the shades of blue and red. Like, and purple. the scenery purple. of this fight is amazing. The purple yeah. was, a, and, was a great touch for me. I like that we're actually seeing the colors of the lightsaber mixing, and then we see purple light reflected back. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's just a cool fight. It's fine. Um, I do like, actually, even more so than the actual quote-unquote fight, if you want to call it that, because like you said, he does get his ass kicked. I do love, like, this badly wounded Kylo Ren um, just screaming at Finn that he's a traitor while also just pounding his wound to try and like stop the bleeding momentarily so he can fight long enough before he like presumably passes out or something. It's it's pretty it's pretty cool. Adam Driver gives a really good performance in this film too. Oh yeah. I don't know if we mentioned that, but he really does. I think he only gets better as these go on, but he's solid here for sure. And so then Finn d- Finn does get a hit on him, which I guess you can chalk up to Kylo being injured and maybe underestimating Finn. But he does get a hit on him, and then Kylo's reaction is basically just to punch him in the face and then basically carve up his whole back. So (laughs) that's the end of Finn's story on this movie. Kylo tries to use the Force to grab the lightsaber, but Rey also uses it at the same time, and Kylo thinks the lightsaber is coming to him, but instead it whizzes past him and goes to Rey. Um, and kind of like what I talked about earlier, I really do like this Kylo and Rey fight because I really like how they do a good job showing that she doesn't really know what she's doing with the lightsaber. Like this is the first time she's really used it. And she's literally just, if you watch this like carefully, she's literally just putting the saber up to block his strikes. She's not trying to do any offensive moves. She's basically just trying to hold her own. Um, and then only in that moment when Kylo says, you need a teacher, I can show you the ways of the force. It's when Rey remembers to use the force. And she really, you can see her like kind of tap into herself. And that's when she can like gain enough strength to um, incapacitate Kylo for a second. Yeah. To get away. I like the scene up until that point that you're talking about. But you are right on this viewing. It is clear she's literally only throwing at the saber to block his strikes and to run away. She's not attacking at all. Um, and as we talked about, I, I do feel like in this movie in particular, um, this is kind of like what I want to see from lightsaber fights. I think the originals are cool. They just don't hold up as well. I think the fights in Empire and Return of the Jedi are solid. But then, aside from Phantom Menace, the fights in episodes two and three are just too choreographed. Like, this for me is just, this feels real. 
this feels like they're actually trying to fight each other. They're trying to be on defense and offense. It also feels like they have room to improvise and be adaptable. So shout out to JJ Abrams for shooting it in such a way. And like the stunt coordinators and trainers for making this not look like episode three, where it's just so painfully choreographed that there's not even, even emotion on the characters' faces. This was cool. But like I said, once it gets to the moment where she needs to use the force, that's where I, I just don't really know how to buy it. And I, I will admit it's all because I still, after 90 movies, I don't know what the force is. Like Kylo literally says, you need a teacher for the force. And then Ray just goes, the force? And then somehow just saying it like that lets her tap into being able to use a lightsaber. And if I, I well, I think she know. clears her mind. I guess, which is, is a teaching that Yoda says in this movie, like in the vision. Is that what he said? I, that's what I'm saying. No, I just don't know. But he's he said that in the past when it comes to the Force. He said you need to clear your mind and focus. Yeah, but Ray should so I think that, right. I don't know. It, it's fine. It's not a big deal. I just think it's a little bit weird. I know this was probably some of the biggest criticism of this new trilogy was, and particularly maybe this movie, uh, or specifically this movie. Um, was with Ray, there people were saying like, "Oh, she, how could she have that much power so fast? Like no one, not even Luke had that. No one, no Jedi has had the power that fast. How? I mean, it's just unrealistic in the in the uh, Star Wars universe. How uh, someone like that could just, and you know, immediately jump into all these different powers using the mind tricks, taking that lightsaber out of the snow with the Force and all that kind of stuff. So, but later on, we learn." who she's descended of and why she has that much power. So if you're looking at the movie from just this movie, as this movie just came out, then I get that. But if you're looking at it from, we have already seen the entire trilogy, then it makes sense of why she has all that power. You know? Yeah. I get her having the power. It's just, for me, it's always been a tough pill to swallow that she knows what to do with it. You know? Cause it's, yeah. Even we made fun of it. In a new well, the mind trick thing was kind of weird for me because it's yeah. like, how does she know to do that? No one, but it's like no a, one told her yeah. what, that mind tricks even existed. And in a new hope, so. Luke saw him do it. And then he spent like two seconds with Obi-Wan where he at least talked about the force here. I think Ray is a better equipped character than Luke was at that point, but it's still, it's just, it's not her. It's not the acting. It's not the writing. It's just the, her just saying the force. And then I guess clearing her mind. And that means that she can now, attack so brilliantly on the offense is a bit of a tough pill to swallow. I don't ultimately care because by this point in the movie, it's just kind of a slog for me. So it is what it is, but you know, I do like the ending of it where she like slashes his face. It's pretty cool. And then it cuts to Hux going to a Snoke and Snoke's like, get off the planet. It's going to be destroyed. And then Snoke's like, bring me Kylo Ren. I got to finish his training. So pretty cool ending, I guess, for those three's kind of arc, for this movie at least, or whatever. But, you know, it is what it is. At this point in the movie, I'm just kind of done. All right. Well, so Poe and his X-Wing squadron finish destroying Starkiller base, and the whole gang returns back to the Resistance headquarters. Um, The map is completed. R2 powers up, and Rey leaves to go find Luke Skywalker on a distant star system. We land with Chewie and R2 in tow, and we see Rey climb up a hill, and Luke Skywalker throws back his hood, and the credits roll. The rest of this movie from this point on is terrible. This is all garbage. She lands. Everybody's talked about it, so I'm not going to do it too much. It's so weird that Leia just lets Chewbacca fucking walk by 
and her immediate reaction is to walk up to Ray and comfort her. But it's weird that Han just died, and Leia's reaction is to walk right by Chewie, who you see walk by her, and go up to Ray and hug her as Ray just sobs for this father figure that she's known for 92 seconds. Um, it's just silly. And then the whole map thing is weird. BB-8 just rolls up to R2, who we've seen is powered down, apparently. But then I guess BB-8 just walking up and making two sounds wakes up R2. And it's like, BB-8 was at the fucking base before this movie started. I get they needed the map, but all you needed to do is just roll up to and make a beep or two, and then they can finish the map. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's the force. That's not how the force works. <laughs> it's just so silly. The whole end of this movie's rushed. Um, I agree with you. I thought it was kind of weird that Leia hugged Ray, even though she had never even met Ray before. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that too. It's the force. And, yeah, she should have hugged Chewie, who she was known for like 30, 40 years, <laughs> and who was practically her step, her brother-in-law, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I guess kind of. Yeah. And then, and then Ray goes to the island, the Jedi Temple. Cl- he, her and Chewie fly in with R two. They, of course, they land at the bottom of the mountain, and she hikes all the way up. Yeah, they just she stay, they get they a terrible CGI wave from Chewbacca yeah, as well. Yeah, they stay on there. That. She hikes all the way up there. And then she sees Luke, and Luke does that stupid thing where he pulls off his hood and he goes like... It's because Mark Hamill forgot how to act in live action stuff. <laughs> and then she just goes... She's like, she just extends her arm. Oh, my God. And then he just looks at her. And Dude. they just make these weird faces. And then cut there. Cut to credits. If you want to have him take off his hood, cool. Ray holds up a lightsaber, cool. It cuts to Luke, and his reaction is, like, somber a little bit. Cool. Cut to credits. This movie, she puts out the lightsaber, cuts to Luke. He looks like he's like he's doing an O face. Cuts back to Ray, and she's like, "Huh? You want the lightsaber?" Cuts back to Luke, and he's like, "Is that a lightsaber?" And then it cuts back to Ray, and now she's crying. Just like what? And then it cuts back to Luke again, and now he's kind of crying. And then. It cuts to a helicopter shot that circles the island. And so we, we literally just watch for two minutes Ray holding out a lightsaber and Mark Hamill, who I guess was not allowed to say even anything. And then that's when it cuts to credits. Ugh. I think I think we could have had everything the way it was. I just think once Ray holds out the lightsaber, she needs to say, teach me the ways of the force and then exactly. cut the credits. I think they should have had at least like 30 seconds worth of dialogue. Like, hey, are you Luke Skywalker? You know, like, just make sure that's actually him. You've never seen him before. <laughs> you know what would be anybody. badass, actually? Straight up, how cool would this have been to get people actually ready for The Last Jedi? She goes, like what Austin says, teach me the ways of the Force. And then he looks at her and he goes, no. Cut to credits. There you go. Alrighty. Well, there it is. That's The Force Awakens. But before we get to our awards ceremony, let's run through our current Star Wars rankings Ooh. of the films that we have seen for the show. Keith, why don't you go first? Empire, number one. Number two, Revenge of the Sith. Number three, New Hope. Number four, Phantom Menace. Number five, Return of the Jedi. Number six, Attack of the Clones. Lastly, number seven is the number seven. Force Awakens. Oh, shit. 
Really? Yeah. Oh. What? You like this less than yeah. the prequels? Whoa. Interesting. <laughs> I guess I haven't made it really clear yet. I actually, I really like this film. I think this is like an incredibly well-made movie, especially for a Star Wars film. Even though it is a remake of, of A New Hope, I think it's better than A New Hope in pretty much every single way. Um, so here are my rankings. I'm going to do Empire, Revenge, The Force Awakens, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, A New Hope, <laughs> and Return of the Jedi. Oh my god. Okay, well, we guess we all have three different rankings here. Okay, I'm going to go number one, <laughs> Empire. Number two... Ugh. As much shit as I have talked, I mean, number two is Force Awakens. Number three <laughs> is Revenge of the Sith. Number four is A New Hope. Number five is Return of the Jedi. Number six is A oh. Phantom Menace. And number, or The Phantom Menace. And number seven is Attack of the Clones. <laughs> really? I don't like that this is number two. This movie, like I said, out of even the prequels, this is the most hollow movie to me. But if I'm talking about specifically the best movies, I feel like it's almost default number two for me because it's very. I don't have a problem with you having a number two. I just can't believe that y'all have A New Hope and Return of the Jedi so high on your list. Austin's the only. Those movies are garbage, dude. You cannot convince me otherwise. (laughs) I will say this, just a like a preface to that list. I'm doing it like the best movies. If I'm doing best Star Wars movies, then I do think Force Awakens falls down on the list i'm not going to rank that right now but it would be lower if i was like the best star wars we've already established though in this episode that star wars movies are bad movies <laughs> so how does it move down <laughs> I'll, I'll say it's probably tied with attack of the clones as far as my my bottom two nice i like so. it i just think that final clone sequence of attack of the clones beats out almost the entirety of the prequels what or i'm sorry the entirety of the originals oh oh no i hated that I was. I didn't care about it. But, but no, you love Empire though. Oh yeah, it was your number one. That was all of our number ones. I think if I was doing like best Star Wars movies, Force Awakens would move down because I think even though I don't love the prequels or the rest of the originals, they do feel more Star Wars to me. And the fact that this one is just such a retread, it would move down. But if I'm doing Smilus, which is specifically like the best movies, I feel like it is well made. I hate that it's that high up. Honestly, as we go on. That might change. I got to think about it some more because I did not like watching this. But then again, the only one out of this entire review series we've done that I enjoyed watching was Empire. So I guess it's not that surprising. Who knows? I don't know. Okay. Well, now it's time for one of my favorite segments of the show. It's the Arnie's Podcast Awards. Keith, I hope you know the rules this week. (laughs) Start us off. I'm bringing back an award that I gave to another character in star wars i'm bringing back the uh best candidate for weight watchers award going to uncar plut the fat guy scavenger scoundrel from jakku i give it to a dex from attack of the clones the belt is now going to uncar the belt (laughs) played by simon Pegg. maybe it'll fit after he goes on that weight watchers program hopefully all right austin what's your award i'm gonna give the best fireworks show to the first order, I may not agree with their mes- their methods, but they sure know how to light up the sky with Starkiller Base. That's beautiful. Nice. That's beautiful. It actually was kind of pretty before it actually destroyed five planets full of millions <laughs> and of people. It's like, oh, that actually looks kind of cute. Um, like I said, I don't agree with the methods, but all the surrounding <laughs> little planets too harsh for me. Show. Just a little too harsh. But uh, all right. Um, speaking of harsh, 
Um, my award is going to go to somebody that really did some harsh... I don't know what you want to call it. They, they were a bit harsh to their vocal cords, you might say. So my award is going to be the most damaged vocal cords, and that goes to Finn going, No, no, no! <laughs> so. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Also, we really would appreciate it if you could share us with a friend um, so we can continue to grow this show. Just one friend is all we really need you to do. At the Onis is our social, and the Arnie's.media is the website. Our Star Wars series will be back in two weeks, and we'll be back with our main episode next Tuesday. We also recently launched a bonus series on season two of The Boys, streaming on Amazon Prime. It's hosted by me, Matt Johnson, along with Austin Carey, and hopefully Keith if he gets caught up in the next few weeks. But regardless, you can hear a new episode every Thursday where we break down the latest episode of The Boys Season 2. At this point, we have talked about episodes 1 through 4, so if you're caught up, make sure you stay tuned this coming week for episode 5. And check us out on Instagram, at the Arnies, and feel free to send us a message on your opinions on this podcast or future episodes. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs>